Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend of Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masach and Moed Katan, DAP Yudchat, page 18. This stuff begins with an interesting discussion, which centers around whether or not an Avel, somebody who's in mourning, is allowed to cut their nails. And it starts with the following story. Pinchas Achua de Marshmuel. So Pinchas, the brother of Marshmuel, Itre Bey Milsa. He had a bad thing happen to him, which basically means, you know, a close relative of his passed away. Al Shmuel and Mishael Tama Mune. And so Shmuel uh, came to him uh, to, it literally means to ask him the reason, but Mepharshim uh, understand it to mean that he came to basically consult him. And he saw that Pinchas's nails were basically long, right? And Amarle, and he says to him, and he says, why did you not cut them? Amarle, so Pinchas says back to Marshmuel, so he said, if it were your, if it were your, meaning like your relative had died, would you treat it so lightly? In other words, he's saying to him, why are you asking me that? I'm in mourning and this is a symbol of how I feel. And, you know, right now I, I don't want to cut my nails. So then it says his words, Pinchas's words were like an error that proceeds from a ruler. So this is a quote from Kohelet. Chapter 10, verse 5, meaning as soon as he said it, something came true, even though he may not have meant for that to happen. And now the same bad thing happened to Shmuel. He also loses a close relative. Right? And so Pinchas, right, basically goes back, to, now goes to visit him, right? Right? Right. And he uh, took his nails and Shmuel basically takes his nails and literally throws them at Pinchas's face. Amarle, and he says to Pinchas, and he says, a covenant is made. You know the principle that a covenant is made with your lips. In other words, that you said something out loud. You implied to me, like, if this had happened to you, right, you wouldn't have treated so lightly. And then sure enough, the bad thing actually happened to me. And then, uh, and but the language he uses around this is, leslach brit keruta lisvatayim, right? Do you not know that a covenant is made with the lips? In other words, if you say something, then it can actually happen. And how do they prove this to Amar Rabbi Yochanan? Minayin shabrit keruta lisvatayim. How do we know that a covenant is made with lips? Shenemar, vayomar Abraham el narab shubulachem po imachamor. Right. So it's interesting. They use the proof that they use is actually for something good. And it takes place in the Akeda, And it's from Bereshi chapter 22, verse five, where Abraham, when he takes Yitzchak to the Akeda, and he travels with a group of his other servants, with his men. And he says, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go on and we will worship and we'll come back to you. In other words, even though Abraham knew his job was that he had to sacrifice Yitzchak, he says to everybody, they're going to come back. The implication being he knew or, you know, like I, this was maybe his hope. The Istaya Milsa de Hador Travaihud. And this had influence and both of them uh, came back. Now, I think there's a couple of very interesting things here. But the thing that <coughs> most interested me is this character of Pinchas, the brother of Shmar Shmuel. Now, Pinchas is not a name that we often see in the Gemara. In fact, I think this is the first time I've seen it, that there was somebody named Pinchas. 
But as we know, Pinchas is, uh, you know, in uh, in uh, uh, Bamidbar, right? Is the you know is the person who basically when that whole thing happens with Balak and Bilam and they try to curse, um, uh, you know, first tried to curse uh, uh, everybody, uh, you know, wanted to curse Bnei Israel, right? And basically, what happens is is that you know Midian, the these women of Midian come and. There's sort of, you know, Avodah Zara that happens and the Jewish men are with the Midianite women. And he basically comes and he kills one of the couples that he sees. And what is he basically, uh, he's basically uh, given a bracha of a brit shalom, right? That he's given a brit shalom, that he will now sort of, because he was like a kanul, he was a zealot. And then God promises him that he will actually be blessed with some type of peace. Now, again, because this is somewhat the job, and I didn't have totally time to unpack this, but I find that it's fascinating that here we have a person named Pinchas, right? And the thing that he is accused of is that he somehow created a breit, right? He created some type of covenant with his lips. And so therefore, I wonder, is like, is this Pinchas actually a real person? Is this the name that he's given because of this Brit time that he does to Shmar Shmuel? Um, I don't have great answers. I actually was not able to see a lot about this in terms of the commentaries with this. I don't know. This was something that I personally picked up on. Um, but I thought that the, I don't know, I just don't think that it is a accident that this language is here, that you again have a Pinchas uh, with a breed. It just doesn't, it, it, it can't just be coincidence. It has to be here. So if any of our, you know, co-learners uh, have any ideas, um, I would love to hear from that. And I don't know if you have anything else to say about that. You... Um, not on that point. I mean, I agree with you. I don't think that it's incidental. What I found to be most interesting here, perhaps, is like, I think anytime anybody starts to talk about nails and, and as, I don't know, like the the supernatural or, or mystical side of whatever nails might mean, right? I feel like that's the focus. And then I feel like, but in this case, that's not the case at all, right? Meaning here we're really talking about the interpersonal dynamic between like, how do you treat another person? And the nails are, al- are almost incidental, right? Meaning they're, except for that, they always, st- always any discussion of nails being, you know, either a sign of mourning or a sign of danger or any of these kinds of things, it always stops me in my tracks because, I feel like without being told this, right? Meaning it's right. not an automatic sign. I, I imagine the difference between like, sure, you're not going for a manicure because you're in mourning. I understand that, right? Meaning as a sign of like not paying so much attention to yourself, but letting your nails grow long is always, I, I don't know, like it always, meaning for decades, it struck me as kind of an, an interesting non-intuitive kind of thing. But again, here, this is not the focus. The focus is how are they treating each other? And it's more just the thing which it revolves around. And it could have been anything. It could have been, I don't know, the menu or something. It doesn't matter, which I found right. to be, you know, it's not what the Gemara is focusing on. So No, not at all. And and the last point that I would make about this strange passage with the Pinchas and the Brit piece is then the example that's brought, as I said before, it is an example where somebody says something, Avram, and something good happens in the end, right? Like he basically says, we're going to come back together, me and Yitzchak. And sure enough, they both come back. Even though the brit time that the Gemara talks about is one where something bad happens. So I don't know if that's like a neutral saying like it can happen either way. 
And I don't know if there's a value to this. And I was trying to think about this. Like, I'm sure there is sort of a, uh, the thing I wanted to look at, and again, I don't, I didn't have time is, are there notions sort of in popular psychology? I mean, I think that was what the whole thing that book The Secret was, right? That's sort of like, if you put out there in the universe what you want by using like positive language and words, then it will actually come true. And so, I, I, you know, so I, I just thought this whole incident was very, very interesting that somehow the notion of what we say actually can influence things that, that happen. But I am still struck by this thing of the Pinchas and the briefcase. Yes, I think the whole thing is kind of remarkable. Okay, right. now, I'm gonna before move... you get to the Mishnah, oh. I just want to point out, you know, there's this whole weird discussion that does come down to the mystical piece of nails, right? Not cutting your nails, where to not throw the nails when you cut them. Maybe that you can throw your nails in the baby drash because women don't frequent there. Um, but that, you know, sort of thing I had heard of that you sort of don't leave your nails uh, on the ground because God forbid a woman steps over it and, you know, would miscarry is actually something I'd heard before. Um, I didn't know, I had forgotten where it had appeared in the Gemara and then I saw it here today. Um, but, uh, you know, so it is interesting also, and as you said, that like first it starts with a practical discussion and then sort of gets into this very weird thing about sort of all these mystical applications about nail cutting and what do you do? I would imagine some of it has to do with is that what's weird about nails is, it, but it's weird. We don't have the same discussions around hair is that it is part of your body that you're sort of like, throwing away and you sort of regularly do have to remove in a different way than hair. Um, um, I know people who treat hair cutting very similarly um, in terms of things like, you know, washing the tila dime after you've cut your nails, washing the tila dime after you get a haircut. I'm not saying this is halacha, but I do know people who do this. I don't know how it would relate to, um, you know, let's say a man who shaves. I don't know if, if anybody takes it that far. Yeah, I, interesting. But the Gemara clearly has a focus on nails. It's not on hair. Yes, that's for sure true. Okay, I'm going to move us back to the realm of, you know, Cholamoid and Halacha in the Mishnah. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me, on Amudbet. These are documents that you can write on Cholamoid. And it doesn't mean jotting down, you know, the things you have to make sure to remember in your when you go to the supermarket or something. These are formal Formal documents, right? Nowadays, everything would be, I don't know, printed up and signed in triplicate or whatever. And then back in the day, of course, it was scrubbed. nashim, matana igrot shum, mazon. So the Mishnah here, I'm going to, you know, continue with the Mishnah, but um, pleasant to go through the list. We have here. Kiddushin Hashim is betrothal, a formal writ of betrothal, um, a bill of divorce, receipt for the payment of debt, meaning you've, you've to acknowledge that you've gotten your, your loan repaid. A dietic, this word that I'm having a hard time with, is wills, um, uh, you know, a less will and testament. Dietic. Uh, some kind of gift, deed, prusbol, right? The prusbol is something that is uh, releasing... Um, somebody whose loans are about to be freed from, let's say, as we come to Shemitah year, or the year after Shemitah, so it's going to enable the baiting to collect on the prusbol so that the person who's made the loan can still get their loan paid back. Again, a formal document. Um, a letter of evaluation, where they, as you know, if the court has evaluated property, and then you want to know for, again, lending, borrow, a lot of this is borrowing, uh, lending and borrowing money. 
Um, and then he wrote Mazon, which is a letter of sustenance. I've seen it translated to be. And what it means is that somebody who is um, taking upon oneself maintenance of another. So that might be in a family, let's say, of a blended family or that kind of thing. It really, I think, could be anybody where somebody makes a commitment to pay for the food of another person. So this is, let's see. Shitrei Chalitza is the document of Chalitza. Chalitza is the way that a woman who is supposed to marry through Yibum, through a levirate marriage, the brother of her dead husband, because there were no children from the first husband, so she can get out of that through Chalitza. Um, usually there's a... We will talk about this at great lengths, I'm sure, when we get to Mesachet Yivamot. Me'unim is a refusal of a get... Okay, this is a little bit complicated. It's not a, it's a refusal of a girl who wants to stay married, who doesn't want to stay married, to a man that her mother or her brothers married her off to while she was in a very brief period of time where they could marry her off to. Namely, it's um her father has died, the mother or the brothers marry her off as a minor. It's called Kitushi Katana. And she can then say no. Right, she can refuse once she gets to be the age of majority, which is, I, I think, really the period of time which they can marry off is about a year or six months. It's not a long time. <clears throat> and then this is the formal refusal on her part. Again, we get to the appropriate masachtot. Shitrebe Ruin um, are documents of arbitration, right, where the court will write up what has happened, you know, in the process of arbitration. Gzerobitin, any court ruling. And then meaning the any official correspondence of the government or the ruling authority is considered permissible. All of these are permitted to do on Cholamoid. So even if we have a general statement where we don't write on Cholamoid, there are many occasions or many formal documents that are, you know, uh, that can be done. And I would say that it's all in the interest of time, meaning a lot of these documents are the means by which the thing, the act, takes effect, right? Meaning you need to write the get so that the divorce can take place. Without the get, you can't have that divorce. It's not like you're writing the divorce for a month and a half from now. You're writing it for then, during Cholomoyed. And I think that's for all of these. Like, even the the letters of the court, let's say. It's because there's a, a, something happened in the court, so you have a you have a write-up right then. Um, none of these things, I don't think, can truly be put off. That's why I imagine that they're allowed to be done at this time. Um, so the Gemara goes on, goes into this, and starts from the beginning of the betrothal, right? Can you can you have that betrothal? And we'll call this, you know, the formal engagement. It's it's a much more formal process than nowadays. Nowadays, getting engaged means like two people decide that they want to get married. Betrothal is more like when you know, the the monarchy in France and the monarchy in England, let's say hundreds of years ago, would have a formal agreement that the baby girl and the baby boy would get married down the road. And now, now that's a government statement. So not every betrothal requires a government's involvement, but it's a formal thing that needs a get to, to undo it. Um, so the question is, can you have everything? Can you have this betrothal take place during Cholomoyed? And the question and the machloket about it is exactly, you know, the, the let me say this better. 
the conclusion is that exactly this point that the Mishnah supports the view that says you can, and the concern is lest somebody else come ahead, come along and betroth the woman first, right? Which of course is not really the same kind of you know image of marriage. Let's say when we talk about um, like again as compared to today, when two people decide they want to get married, you're not usually worried that somebody else is gonna you know scoop up your bride in the few days before um okay what i want to do what i want to just talk a little bit more about is towards the bottom of the daf we have another mission at the end of the daf we're going to save that for tomorrow because it goes on to tomorrow's daf but we have a whole discussion here um let's see achiamar rav mishum rav reuven ben itzrubili so Rev said in the name of Rev Uvein ben Itzterobini, and we're going to talk about him just for a minute. This is a who's who, because he's not mentioned very often, but he's a Tana, meaning he's of the same generation of the, the sieges of the Mishnah, and he's in the generation of Rabbi Akiva. And apparently he had great influence in Rome, and he was able to wield that influence to cancel decrees that were made against Israel, against the Jewish people. Uh, so he shows up now and again. You know, he had students. I'm sorry, he had children, sons, who themselves became important students of Rabbi Yudanasi. Um, and Yitzhrobili seems to come from the Greek word, for which is strobilus, meaning round or spinning. Um, why that is his name or why he was known by that, I mean, theoretically, it's just that it was his father's name, but why it even came into the family, you know, I imagine it was descriptive of some, in some way or shape, uh, literally shape. So, so this is what is said in his name. So from the Torah, from the prophets, from the writings, meaning from all of these books, right? The implication is that there is a divine writ, so to speak, that a person, and it goes on to say, from God, that a man is, that a specific woman is destined to be married to that specific man. And then he's got verses from each of these um, Specifically, they talk about that God decreed the whole question of um, Rivka, right? That she's going to marry Yitzchak. And then from from the VM, it says in the Sefer Shoftim, in the Book of Judges, This is chapter 14. And then from Ketuvim, Ketuvim, Beit Vahon Nachlat Avodu Mehashem Isha, a um, a skelet. So this is from Mishlei chapter 19. So all of this is talking about like literally like this idea of, you know, a destin, destiny for Bashert, right? For a man and woman to get married. And then because we're already talking about Rev. Uven ben we go on with other things that he said. And this is what I think gets particularly interesting. He says, a person is only suspected of something, doing something wrong if he's actually done something wrong. And if he didn't do all of it, then he did some of it. If he didn't do even part of it, that he thought about doing it. I feel like this is you know, what people say to, to kids when they... In the olden days, let's say, when there's a notion that you 
punish the child, you know, you give him a spanking, and then they say, but I didn't do it. But you're going to do something else, and it will be just fine. The spanking will apply to that. And if he didn't even want to do it himself, then what happened is he saw other people doing the same thing, the same wrong thing, and he was pleased that they did so. Meaning, according to this position, you don't have random suspicions about a person who's fully innocent, which is, again, uh, you know, it's a difficult way to, to establish a system of law. Um, on the other hand, maybe there's something to be said about it in terms of human nature. So Mati from Yaakov, as you would expect, we have, of course, here an objection. We have a verse from Malachim Bet, where it says that B'nai Israel made things up that were not right, and they made them up against God. So they did it in order to anger God. It's not that they thought that what they were saying was true. They were being dafkanics. Um, and then the Kamar goes on to bring another source to challenge the same claim. That they were jealous of Moshe in the camp. Um, that they were jealous of Moshe in the camp. And then the, it's a verse from Tehillim. It says, of Aaron, the Lord's holy one. So what happens? Rav Shmuel bar Yitzchak Amar melamed shekol echad kinali ishtomi Moshe. Rav Shmuel bar Yitzchak uses this verse to teach that every person was warned, every man rather was warned, um, warned his wife kinali ishto. He was jealous or zealous, whatever, that his wife should not be secluded with Moshe. So right, meaning the idea is that. You know, if they would be, if there would be seclusion between any of these women and Moshe Rabbeinu, then they would sin. And of course, the point is that's not the case. Presumably, that you know he's not even in seclusion with his own wife these days, right? At the time of Matan Torah, and so therefore, the Gemara says, well, there that whole position, that whole interpretation, is out of hatred for Moshe. It's not that they thought that he was really going to do something wrong, right? They're trying to to put him down by levying false accusations. Right? So this, the whole of this is a matter of like, you know, on the one hand, we've got this position that says, if there's even a whiff of smoke, you for sure have some kind of fire. And then we've got examples of, you know, clearly there was no smoke, there was no fire, there were no matches in the room. And yet there's a concern that there's, you know, there's an accusation that really had nothing to do with anything. So the the point is the, the rebuttal to Rav Reuven ben Yitzrobili is to say, people make things up sometimes. It's not just that somebody who's accused is automatically going to be, you know, in the wrong. Um, and that by itself, I think, is a really interesting, um, you know, conversation, difference of, approach, difference of approach with regard to human nature and, you know, how much are people going to do something wrong and when people don't do something wrong can they and they still might be accused of doing something wrong because people might be jealous or want to make trouble or so on i i i find the the backdrop of this to be really you know psychologically very interesting yeah i mean this whole daf it just gets into uh a lot of interesting um pieces about sort of like free will and what's predetermined <laughs> and you know, it, it's not, again, not a light staff for, for, for Daphiomi when you have to, you know, sort of go through it quickly. Uh
Gemara, but I think when you really sit with it, you know, it brings up some questions like how much are we in control, what's predetermined, and, and how do things sort of play themselves out in life? Yeah, and I think also the Gemara is, it, it may be well known, but it's not explanatory here. We don't get a full discussion of it. It's here for us to take and mull and discuss, and learning that, we don't have so much time for that. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us, all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stop on our Talking Tom and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.